the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed. And hour number two is now underway at 10 minutes past 10 o'clock on AM 1420. The answer. Thank you so much for joining us. Phone lines will be open again shortly at 216-901-0945 or at 888-281-1110. We'd love to have your thoughts. If you want to tweet to us, you can do so at France Radio, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. That You can also comment on the news stories, including the Chuck Schumer tweet from 2013. I put that on Facebook as well for your commentary. I will read the best comments on the year. I want to pivot now and talk about a different kind of national security away from, although they are tied together. I should be a little bit more cautious there. Uh, we were talking about border security, and now I wanted to talk about um, national security as it pertains to radical Islamic terrorism, but uh, they are not mutually exclusive, as we do know uh, that it is not just Mexican migrant farm workers coming across the border, and it's not just drug runners, cartel members, MS-13 members, but yes, also uh, terrorists, Middle Eastern terrorists, uh, who are also a threat at our border. But I do want to pivot now to that subject with our guest, Ryan Morrow. Ryan, of course, uh, a regular guest on this program. He's the chairman of the Clarion Intelligence Network, the Shillman Fellow and National Security Analyst at the Clarion Project. Read his great work online at clarionproject.org. Uh, Ryan, good to have you on uh, the program once again, my friend. How are you? Hey, I'm doing very well. It's great to speak with you. Ryan, a lot of ground to cover with you today, uh, three major uh, uh, issues to discuss, and uh, I want to start with the most recent one, of course, that was the latest uh, Islamic terror attack in France. Uh, we're trying to figure out, you know, as much as we can, I do know that, that a lot of background information has been gathered on the shooting suspect, Sharif Chakat, if I'm saying that correctly, and if I'm not, please correct it, um, who, uh, who opened, uh, you know, opened up, uh, opened fire and, and attacked while shouting, as traditionally, I'll 
Salah Akbar in France, adding to the chaos in that nation, which is already being uh, uh, overrun by revolts and and um, and and riots and other things over gas taxes and more. But this was different. This was uh, an attack on Christmas Town. So it was an attack on Christianity, a Christmas marketplace, Christmas Town marketplace, I guess is what it's called, uh, uh, by a radical Islamic extremist. What can you tell us? Sure. So uh, this is clearly a terrorist attack. France has said that. France is saying that it's motivated by radical Islam. Um, and they have a lot of information on this guy. He's been um, under surveillance and been in terror watch list for a long time. Uh, they said that he's been convicted. I believe the number was 27 times in three different countries for things like robbery and theft. Um, and he was radicalized in prison, they believe. Um, although sometimes I, I question that when the government says that, because sometimes their definition of radicalism means they, they actually start advocating violence. You don't know what they thought before that. Um, they, they may have just been bigots thanks to radicalism, and then they became violent. But th- there is definitely an escalation in prison, according to the French. There is a manhunt for him. Um, and part of the reason that these attacks will happen around Christmas time, aside from the, the symbolic and the economic I- impact, um, I'm going to make a bit of a prediction here. If ISIS makes a, an announcement about this and they claim credit, usually what they and al-Qaeda will do is they will refer to a phrase called breaking the cross. Uh, the news media then says, okay, well, that's a way of saying that they are threatening Christians globally, and they are. But if you hear the term breaking the cross, what you have to understand is they are referring to an Islamic end times prophecy that says that their version of Jesus, the Islamic Jesus, will come with the Mahdi, who is like their Messiah, and Jesus, in front of the whole world, will break a cross in order to demonstrate to Christians that they've been wrong about their faith and their interpretation of who Jesus is, and thus cause an absorption of Christianity into Islam as everyone converts to Islam, and then the rest can be killed along with the Jews and the forces of the Antichrist. Um, So... Uh, this isn't. There's a greater, crazier worldview beyond just carrying out an attack uh, around Christmas time. You in these type of plots, and even beyond the normal craziness of ISIS. This is actually inspired by an end times prophecy. This is terrifying <laughs> to hear you say that. Um, uh, let me let me try to understand this part of this. According to French police, uh, and this is in the Guardian. They say this particular terrorist is one of 12,000, quote, gangster jihadists, uh, end quote, who exist under the radar in, and I don't know if that just means in France or throughout Europe. Are, are, are a lot of them of the mindset that you're talking about with the end time pros- uh, prophecy that you're referring to about breaking the cross, or are they all kind of varied in terms of what they believe and what their uh, motivation is for their, for their activities? These apocalyptic end times prophecies is pretty much across the board. It's almost as common as the belief that they're supposed to establish an Islamic state, eventually globally, mm-hmm. um, but certainly within areas that uh, used to be Muslim-majority and used to be under Sharia law. Uh, so when you look at polling data about belief in these really violent end times prophecies that inspire violence because they believe they can make them come about, uh, you see a majority or at least near a majority, I forget if it actually crossed over 50%, throughout the Muslim world believe in these prophecies and believe that they will soon be actualized. That's very dangerous. That's a very different way of looking at how things develop. 
and a different way of, of even justifying violence beyond just, so oh, getting into paradise and getting with these heavenly women and, and fighting the infidel. Uh, when you view yourself as potentially playing a role in what the radical Islamic belie- world believes is the most monumental moment in, in world history, that makes it even harder to deter someone. It, yeah, it, it it really does. Uh, we're, we're talking with uh, Ryan Morrow, of, Clor- of course, who is a national security analyst at the Clarion Project, the Shillman Fellow there, and also uh, the um, chairman of the Clarion Intelligence Network. Ryan, let me bring the threat closer to home, um, and it's interesting... Um, the story out of Toledo uh, that most people are aware of, and you certainly are, uh, of an ISIS sympathizer uh, who was uh, uh, tracked as as long as six months ago. His name is Damon Joseph, an Ohio ISIS supporter. Investigators say was planning to attack Toledo area synagogues. Um, two things: number one, the specifics on this individual and how uh, deep a network like this might run, or if this is more lone wolf kind of, or I guess since they tracked him six months ago, known wolf territory. The second thing is, Ryan, we're not hearing as much about ISIS attacks in recent weeks and months. And I mean many months. Now, maybe it's just me uh, looking to the you know regular news sources and uh, ISIS uh, t- attracting attention that way. Uh, maybe somebody like you are a lot more dialed into it, and there is a lot of ISIS activity. But if it is, and I'm not mistaken on this, if it is really, really, really quiet right now on the ISIS front, does that mean that they are really, really on the verge of essentially being non- uh, players in the terrorism game anymore? Have we defeated them completely, or are they in the process of quietly reforming? You can always make the argument that they're reforming because there's always that s- small number of holdouts who are trying to fix things for the organization. But I'm willing to take a gamble and speak more optimistically about where we are in the fight against ISIS than a lot of other analysts, um, because as soon as you say anything optimistic, then something bad happens and people won't let you forget it, and they think it's somehow debunking your analysis. Uh, So that's why there's a tendency on the parts of people to just reflexively give the worst, most pessimistic assessment, because it's the safest from a career perspective. Um, But as for ISIS, um, specifically, uh, what we are seeing, especially online, is more of a comeback of loyalty to Anwar al-Awlaki, to um, Osama bin Laden's son, and even among the ISIS holdouts. So it seems like there's a shift happening in who is inspiring terrorist activity, but you're right that, that the actual implementation of terrorist activity, where they, where they get to the point where they start assembling a bomb, where they succeed in carrying out an attack, that appears to have decreased. Uh, because of two reasons. One is because we are beating ISIS back overseas, and that causes a bit of an ideological crisis among radicals, uh, because according to their beliefs, if you're succeeding, Allah is blessing your interpretation. If you're losing, that means you have offended Allah, and Allah is using the enemies of Islam to punish you. So where did you go wrong? And, it ca- and so uh, our military victories actually have a very big ideological impact, so, um, but also, there is a sharp increase in uh, how we were able to operate after ISIS sprung forth. There were more resources. Some of the handcuffs came off of the federal agencies and even local law enforcement. And then it takes a while for you to see the results of that. So I would say it's a mixture of ISIS sliding downwards as well as the fact that we are getting better 
um, because we're, we responded to the surge in ISIS. Um, but then the complacency will seep in again, and then we'll be back to where we started. The specific suspect in Ohio who was plotting, plotting to kill rabbis and law enforcement, um, the group that I lead, Clarion Intelligence Network, uh, we knew about him six months ago, and we were reporting him to the authorities. And the way we come across these guys is because we reject the lone wolf hypothesis, and we say, well, there's always at least some type of social circle that these guys are close to that provide them with encouragement and answer the, help them answer these questions because it's hard to get yourself to want to do some of this. Um, and, and the way that you cope with that if you're a radical is by you talk to people you respect. So you find who they respect, who they associate with, that encourage them to keep going, and that's how you can find them, and that's how we found this guy. And that is uh, that is encouraging to know that you know that that somebody is on the lookout and rejecting the traditional norms as it pertains to trying to find these individuals. I mean, are law enforcement agencies kind of catching on now, and 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 intelligence agencies as well? And how how close? And I know I'm short on time here, but but how closely are our intelligence agencies on at the federal level working with local law enforcement in order to be able to identify and find these people as you guys tr- start tracking them? We still see a big breakdown between federal and local law enforcement, and that's because uh, federal law enforcement will say they don't want to share sensitive intelligence with local law enforcement. It could jeopardize an investigation. Uh, But then the local police are the ones that are most likely to come across these guys on the streets. Um, So so I hear their concern, but there needs to be more sharing. Um, But overall, resources still are limited for the federal agencies. And people like Damon Joseph, this guy in Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, when they get arrested, uh, I, I mean, they were openly radical. Like, it's rare that you come across, I, I shouldn't say rare, but I would say on a 1 to 10 scale of how openly radical this guy was, he was about a 10. And it wow. took uh, six months to arrest him. Wow. That is that is a, a frightening uh, uh, fact to learn. Um, Ryan, I've got to get out here and get my traffic here, but I do want to ask you about presidential candidates that are tied into and endorsing of CARE, the uh, uh, Islamic uh, support organization that has been branded by at least one foreign government as a terrorist organization that operates with impunity here in the United States. I want to talk to you about that on the, uh, on the flip side of this. We only have a few minutes left with you, but I want to take advantage of that right after this. Ryan Morrow, back with us uh, in just a moment on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1025 now, the Bob France Authority. We uh, created a couple more minutes uh, with Ryan Morrow so that we could really dig into this a little bit more deeply. Ryan Morrow, of course, the uh, Shulman Fellow and National Security Analyst at the Clarion Project and the Chairman of the Clarion Intelligence Network. Uh, Okay, Ryan, you wrote a piece on this, and I thought it was pretty fascinating. I mean, we know that... Well, I won't ask you to be overtly political because you're not overtly political. You know, you're really not. And I give you all the credit in the world for that. Um, but I am and I will be 16 likely Democratic presidential candidates that have endorsed CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations. Remind listeners who are somewhat new what CARE really is and then tell us about these 16 individuals. Sure. So the Council on American Islamic Relations is sort of like the bulldog of the Islamist movement within the United States. Um, According to the Justice Department, uh, they are an entity of the American branch of the Muslim Brotherhood, as well as linked to Hamas. The Muslim Brotherhood specifically set up a body that included CARE to covertly support the Hamas agenda, 
and federal prosecutors said in an actual quote in a court filing uh, that they agreed to use deception to influence policy and public opinion right from the very beginning. It was like its founding purpose. And so that's why it's so frightening to see VIPs in the political realm just endorse care because they're powerful and have a high profile. They, they ask and they receive, and, and that's kind of the end of the story. Uh, so let's talk now about uh, some of these individuals, 16 people who have endorsed them. And if you want to just kind of pick some, uh, you know, a few of the names to hit here, obviously we can't do all 16, particularly uh, maybe weighted by the strength of their endorsement. What have they said? Have they made statements that indicate how they would uh, partner with CARE if they were in the Oval Office, that kind of thing? Or are they more just general statements of, uh, of support for the organization? For most of these, they are general statements, but they are endorsements that go on the CARE website, and then they use it in their fundraising letters, and then they use it to get the endorsement of others. Um, They use it to go to the media to say, okay, well, here's the proof that we are not radical, because politicians who are risk-averse, they endorse us. So everyone that criticizes us is Islamophobic. And so these politicians like Kamala Harris, like Cory Booker, uh, like Gillibrand, Klobuchar, Sherrod Brown, Eric Holder, all of them. Um, there's, again, there's 16. I'm just going over some of the, those are just some of the powerhouse um, candidates, um, are basically helping them fundraise. They write them a letter for their fundraising banquets, um, or they just give them a generic quote that they can use in their literature, and they're probably thinking, um, well, uh, this group is moderate. They haven't been educated. And they haven't done the due diligence to find out the truth. Or if they are aware of it, then they're saying, well, I can always say I didn't know about their radical background. Let me just get what I can get by being nice to them. Um, and then if I have to pull back later, I will. Um, and so for me, that's the big question. Do they know and are just being selfish? Or do they not know, and if they don't know, why is it that they're giving endorsements to groups without even Googling them or consulting with an expert? This is, right. this is easy stuff to find out. This, this could almost be, if I wanted to be really highly partisan, which I guess I am and I do because I'm disgusted by virtually every Democrat uh, politician these days, uh, but this could almost be disqualifying if you're not going to, as you say, consult an expert and do the research and do some proper vetting and due diligence and whatnot about these organizations before you uh, issue a statement of support for them. Honestly, then uh, I don't want you running my country. I don't want you running my military. I don't want you running my intelligence agencies. I don't want you running security uh, for this country if you can be this blind about this. Right, because if you know about it, at least it doesn't necessarily mean you're incompetent. It just means that you're you're kind of a wicked, selfish person. Yeah, um, but if you don't know, <laughs> which about is it, worse, which is worse. I don't know. You know, either way, it's it's I disqualifying. Know which is worse. I, I can't figure it out. I mean, on the one hand, from a from a manipulative political perspective, it, you know, if you take morality out of it, you could see the idea of saying, okay, well, endorse them, get the donations and everything, and then just don't involve them if you want to bend over backwards to put a positive light on it. Uh, but then if you're so incompetent that you don't even have a process in your in your office to check terrorist ties of groups that are approaching you, that's just, that's just unbelievable. I mean, this is really a testament to a broader issue of what's going on organizationally with our politicians that groups like this can just walk into the office, ask for an endorsement, and get it. And, and meanwhile, I bet a lot of these same Democrats would go nuts um, or have gone nuts over any Republican that has associated with Act for America or 
or with the David Horowitz Freedom Center or any of these other organizations that are not tied to terrorists, but the far left will consider them to be Islamophobic hate groups. Eggs, of so, course. Yeah. And it's they worse to be associated with the Southern Poverty Law Center for our side, you know? The yeah, we absolutely do. Well, are yeah. you volunteering? Um, it's an idea I've been pushing. Uh, it's something, seriously, I'm not even beginning uh, to joke about that. You or or people uh, that you associate with, some people who are highly respected, who understand all of this, seriously should form the, uh, you know, the, the I, I don't even want to say the conservative version, because I don't want to be the conservative version of the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, because they lie, and they cheat, and they and they, and they they manufacture fake news, and, and levy allegations and accusations against people without any basis in fact whatsoever. I don't want to be the conservative version and do that to other people. People. I just want the honest version of it and uh, and tell the truth about people. So it would be great if somebody could put that together. Before you go, Ryan, just to hit them all for those who, do, who are wondering, give me some of the names. Uh, Kamala Harris, uh, uh, Cory Booker, Kirsten, these are all 16 of the ones I uh, outlined in your piece that have endorsed or given uh, their blessing to care. Uh, Kirsten uh, Gillibrand, Amy Klo- uh, Klobuchar, uh, Sherrod Brown, Eric Holder, Tom Steyer, Eric Swalwell, John Delaney, Maryland uh, representative, Tim Ryan, another Ohioan, Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, Martin O'Malley, the former governor of Maryland. I don't know Mayor... Uh, Mayor Pete Buted, I don't even know how to say his name, uh, from I South Bend. I don't know his last name either. I just yeah. know he's a mayor that wants attention. Yeah, he is, and he's if he's a candidate, he'll be one of the first ones gone, of course. Uh, Michael Bennett, Colorado Senator, and then uh, Chris Murphy, Senator from Connecticut. So I'll link this and post it and tweet about it as well. But you can read Ryan Morrow stuff firsthand if you follow him on Twitter and on Facebook. Ryan Morrow, make sure you type it in right. It's M-A-U-R-O. Ryan, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, let me know about your progress on forming the, uh, the, the anti-SPLC. Sound all right? Absolutely. I'm I'm very excited about it, um, but how to do it, that's the question. If I can help, I will avail myself. You, You let me know. All right, my friend? You got it. Thank you. Thank you so much. You got it. 1032, the Bob France Authority, back at com. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is every bit of that. And maybe a little bit more. 1038, the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Got 22 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you before we turn it over to to, uh, Mr. Mike Gallagher. Mr. Gallagher will be followed by Prager and then Medved and Seculo and Elder, and I'll stop there. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us. If you are interested in the best and most insightful conservative news talk available, in the industry, stay here. You get all of that free of buffoonery that you get in other places. By the way, speaking of buffoons, uh, how about the good folks at uh, Sports Illustrated? Have you seen this? Um, a few years ago, I ended my long-time su- subscription to Sports Illustrated because I was just about sick and tired of seeing the same thing in SI that we have seen from uh, television network uh, ESPN and ESPN properties, uh, including their print publications and their radio stuff and this, that, and the other thing, right? Uh, and the reason why is, see, I love sports. It's my diversion. It's my, it's my relaxation from all of the murders, wars, and rapes, and uh, scandals, and everything else that we do in the news business on a regular basis, right? So I love that, and that's one of the reasons I would turn to those things. And... Um, a couple of years ago, like I said, I, I ended, maybe a few years ago now, I ended my subscription to Sports Illustrated because I was tired of them infusing their liberal politics into my sports. They were, they were destroying what was my refuge from the news when I needed a break. 
uh, destroying my enjoyment of sports, historical and current. And that's why that's why I very rarely will listen to ESPN or watch ESPN anymore. Even though I have an affiliation with a quote unquote ESPN radio station, it's that it's not working for ESPN. But I have an affiliation with one. Uh, but I don't watch it and I don't listen to it because I don't like it. I will not support their liberal indoctrination uh, of sports fans who are there for a different reason. And here's an example of why I gave up on uh, on Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated has chosen to equate, in a manner of speaking, new Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh with a convicted, multiple-times sexual offender and sexual child abuser, Larry Nasser. And here's how. They chose Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, the liar who tried to stop Brett Kavanaugh from becoming a Supreme Court justice, the liar who tried to destroy this man's reputation, family, career, and more, she is being chosen to give an honor to one of the victims of Dr. Larry Nassar, thus equating the two of them as if Dr. Ford has something in common with one of the gymnastics victims that they are honoring uh, of Dr. Larry Nasser. Um, Katie Pavlich wrote about this in uh, uh, townhall.com today. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, the woman who repeatedly changed her story about Justice Brett Kavanaugh during congressional testimony earlier this year, is back in the public eye on behalf of Sports Illustrated, re- which released a video of Ford presenting an award. There's just one problem. Sports Illustrated and Ford are thus linking Kavanaugh to the convicted serial child sex abuser, Dr. Larry Nasser. Lawyer and former gymnast Rachel Denhollander has been selected as Sports Illustrated's inspiration of the year. She was the first woman to publicly accuse former Michigan State and USA Gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser of sexual assault. Den Hollander filed a federal lawsuit against Nasser at the U.S. District Court for the Western District to Michigan. 251 other former gymnasts, along with 23 husbands of gymnasts, also brought up claims consolidated into her suit. Following Den Hollander's lead, more than 300 women in total have said they were sexually assaulted by Nasser. Den Hollander was the last to confront Nasser during his hearing for criminal sexual misconduct and delivered a powerful rebuke of the sexual predator. Nasser was sentenced to 175 years on Michigan state charges of sexual assault, in addition to a sentence of 40 to 125 years in prison on three counts of sexual assault. He was also given a 60-year sentence on federal child pornography charges. What in the world does this have to do with Christine Blasey Ford? I think we all know. The, 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 the editors at Sports Illustrated chose Christine Blasey Ford, who has been thoroughly discredited and debunked in her allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. They chose her to give this award, indicating that there is a link. Here's one sexual abuse survivor honoring another. And this, of course, drags Brett Kavanaugh into the role of being just like Dr. Larry Nasser. 
Their choice rates, Katie Pavlich and Town Hall, diminishes Den Hollander's experience and the experiences of other real sexual assault victims. As a reminder, these are some of the Dr. Christine Blasey Ford claims. Over the weekend, 25-year veteran sex crimes prosecutor Rachel Mitchell released a nine-page memo detailing the contradictions and lack of evidence presented by Dr. Christine Blasey for during testimony in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee last week. In the legal context, here's my bottom line, wrote Mitchell. A he-said-she-said case is incredibly difficult to prove, but this case is even weaker than that. Dr. Ford identified other witnesses to the event, and those witnesses either refuted her allegations or failed to corroborate them. For the reasons discussed below, I do not think that a reasonable prosecutor, wrote Rachel Mitchell, would bring this case based on the evidence before the committee, nor do I believe that this evidence is sufficient to satisfy the preponderance of the evidence standard. In addition to failing to remember timelines from the past seven weeks, not to mention the past 36 years, Mitchell explained that Ford struggled to even name Kavanaugh as the man that she believed engaged, she believes engaged in sexual assault against her. Further, a lengthy report released by the Senate Judiciary Committee, of course, showed not a single claim of sexual misconduct made against Kavanaugh could be backed up by evidence or corroboration. So here comes Sports Illustrated. Choosing Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who essentially lied about everything that she claimed, along with two other women who lied in these claims about Brett Kavanaugh, she's giving the award to the victim of a real sexual abuser and sexual assaulter, a serial sexual abuser, a child sexual assaulter, which brings Kavanaugh to the level of Larry Nassar. This is why, like I said, I don't read Sports Illustrated. I stopped my subscription a long time ago, and I will never pick one up again. And it's the only way you hit publications and organizations like this is in the wallet. And while I'm not qualified to tell anybody how to spend their money or how, where they get their sports news, I would encourage anybody else who is like me, a very big sports fan, and, uh, and again, I have a sports media career separate from my news media career here, uh, it's why I will not use them as part of my uh, as part of my research or my talking points, unless it's to disparage them the way I am right now for this horrific equivalency that they tried to make between a, uh, a serial sex offender like Dr. Larry Nasser and an innocent Supreme Court justice named Brett Kavanaugh. Donnie is in Euclid on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Hey, Donnie, go ahead. Good morning, Bob. And uh, speaking of sports, tell me something. What the heck? Is the NFL going to diss Canton and Cleveland for Las Vegas? What does Las Vegas have to do with the history of the NFL? That was a desert until Bugsy Siegel came out there and founded Las Vegas. Well, but you know, but you know the real reason they finally expanded to Vegas. The Raiders are going to start playing there in a year or two, and uh, so they're trying to they're trying to gin up you know the uh, the business in law the NFL business in Las Vegas. The Raiders may be there as early as next year, playing in a temporary yeah. stadium while they build their uh, you know multi billion dollar uh, uh, digs that they're going to have. So yeah. I think that's well, all it is. Is they, this is where they feel like they can rather than paying homage to the to the history as you pointed out of of Canton and Cleveland. It's just a matter of hey, we we worship the more than we do the history of the game. But uh, the main point that I wanted to wanted to call you about was you had you had one one of your callers. I think it was uh, Navy Man Norm. I guess they're gonna they're gonna do do a uh, do a uh, a march out in front of a 
one of the city halls because of the uh, yeah the, I think uh, it's Ravenna he was he said I think he said the two cities Ravenna and I think he said Medina um, uh, ordered the display of the nativity scene removed from the uh, removed from the government grounds or public grounds because of the complaints of the atheist groups well I think that I think that you came up with a with a stroke of genius with your idea of having people come in uh, in the costumes of the uh, wise men the uh, Virgin and uh, and Baby Jesus. I think that if they could somehow get some of those members of the uh, the city hall out there, they won't need any any kind of costuming to come out in, as uh, oxen and ass. Well, <laughs> I, I, Donnie, thank you. I was thinking about the animals, the farm animals in the nativity scene. People could just bring their dogs and dress them up in a little camel costume or an ox costume. <laughs> That's a pretty interesting way you phrased it, though, Donnie. Uh, look, I, I, I did come up with that just kind of off the cuff. Navy man Norm said they're making them take down these nativity scenes, and they're going to go out there and protest. And I just said... Um, uh, you know what? Uh, don't just go stand out there in street clothes and protest. Go out there and replace the nativity scene with human beings. Uh, dress, you know, put some of the bed sheets on, not to mock, obviously, but just, you know, the period of the, you know, of the, of the, uh, of the, you know, the time. Uh, wear the, wear the bed sheets as robes. Uh, do what you gotta do. Put a few wise men out there. Get a couple of your dogs. Bring them out there and, uh, sit them down and, uh, uh have them be the farm animals and, uh, bring a Mary and a Joseph and we'll just have a human nativity scene and see if they make everybody leave. Kind of thinking they can't. Kind of thinking they wouldn't. Kind of thinking that that's free assembly. Uh, and that is something that, wow, well, you know, then again, maybe they would challenge it because think about it. They're already, by making these nativity scenes um, uh, illegal or removing them from these areas in Ravenna and Medina and all the other places where the Freedom From Religion Foundation out of Wisconsin is stirring up trouble, as they do every year at this time, trying to force their beliefs on others, um, which is just so frustrating. It, it just is. Nobody in a nativity scene is harassing people and saying, you know, you must believe in God, you must believe in Jesus, you must become Christian. They're just displaying their their scene, while the Freedom From Religion Foundation actively goes out of their way to try to tell people, don't believe in it, don't believe in it, don't believe in this, this is what, this is wrong. They put up billboards for crying out loud. They call the they call God the flying spaghetti monster. I mean, they literally go out of their way to harass other people for their beliefs. They subscribe, and I'm getting off on a tangent here, and I'm, I've been known to do that, sorry. They honestly subscribe to a belief and a, and a religious ideology that is, is as much of a religion as Christianity is, or Judaism is, or any other religion. I mean, really, they are, they are beholden to their God, which is the God of atheism. And I know that sounds obviously contradictory, because atheism is the opposite of theism, but, but I mean, truly... They, they, they are so devoted to their belief that there is no God. It is almost God-like. It is almost religious in its, in its um, you know, intensity and its passion. But back to the point, uh, you know, the First Amendment already gives us the right to display the nativity scenes, etc. Remember, the First Amendment, is, it gives people the right to, to practice their religion as they see fit. And the separation of church and state, which of course is what they always point to, means that the state shall not establish a religion. And the state isn't establishing a religion by acknowledging that a religion exists.
And putting up a nativity scene is just an acknowledgement that it exists. It isn't saying do this. It isn't saying you must do this. You should do this. So the First Amendment already gives us the right to the religious display. But since they're taking that away, maybe we take that to the next step to freedom of assembly. It's part of free speech, freedom of the press, freedom of the right to peaceably assemble. If you are right, have the right to peaceably assemble and you are dressed as uh, characters in the nativity scene, they can't make you leave, right? I'd, I'd say try it. Put people out there for a few hours and uh, let the Freedom for Religion Foundation complain and uh, and see what happens. And then, like I said, if we can get a few hundred Christians all willing to volunteer to take shifts an hour at a time, I'll be Joseph from noon to one, you'll be Joseph from one to two, and uh, and on down the line we go. We just kind of keep a rotating cast of people in there, uh, standing there and putting a 24-7 religious nativity scene up. What are they going to do, make you leave? Tell you you can't wear the robes because it makes you look like you're a religious biblical character? Going to make you just change clothes? I, I, like I said, I made it up kind of off the cuff. But the more I talk about it, the more I like it. I'm not saying that people have to do it, and I don't know if I can find enough people to uh, make around-the-clock nativity scene uh, kind of vigil between now and Christmas. But my, oh my, would it be cool if we could. All right, 1053, let's get out and come back in again and wrap this bad boy up on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, obviously, short segment uh, before we have to hand this off to Mike Gallagher. Let's squeeze a couple of calls in here. Try to make them brief for me so we can get everybody in. John in Chesterland, you're on the air. John, go ahead, sir. Hi, Bob. Uh, a few years ago, I'm not sure, maybe within sometime within the past 10 years, uh, one of those atheists came here into Chesterland and attempted to force us to remove the shield that was painted on the side of our police vehicles that uh, shown the picture of a Baptist church here in Chesterland as well as a cross. Well, one of our trustees at the time uh, was an attorney, and he fought them, and he paid the expenses out of his own pocket, and he won in our local courts here. And I would urge anybody that has this, perhaps they could Google this or, or got contact the Geauga County Courts and find out uh, what the case was on this and, and use that to fight these clowns. Where's our rights in, in, in putting up these displays uh, representing our Christianity? Well, normally, yeah, normally the reason these people win is because people just don't have the money to do what you just said, and that's go to court and fight it. You know, you said this particular, uh, you said it was a police officer who actually put up his own money to fight this. No, he was an attorney. Who was? Oh, an attorney did it. Okay, yeah. If you can find attorneys to do it pro bono and put up, you know, put up the uh, funds and do the work themselves, you can fight it. And I think most of the time you can win. It just depends on what judge you have uh, in your particular locality. But most of the time, it's a protracted fight. And the uh, uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation, these people have their own funding, and they are willing to go to court and uh, and and they usually try to just make these towns bend by uh, by saying, uh, you know, we're going to take you to court, and it's going to take a long time and a lot of money. And rather than spend the money, the town say, okay, we'll take it down. Right. Wasn't there just in the last month or so, uh, Dover, Ohio, experienced the same situation? A town uh, I, did, I didn't see that. I don't have a list of the names of the towns that have been going through this. But as you know, each and every Christmas season, there are more and more of these types of things that happen. And, and I wish they would all fight the way that you just said. Uh, uh, the, uh, which, what town did you say did and won? Chesterland. Chesterland. Oh, your town, Chesterland. Okay, yeah. Uh, I wish more of them would fight, but like I said, some of them just don't have the funds to be able to do that. Uh, Frankenbrook Park, I've got only 30 seconds. Go ahead, sir. Speaking of infants, the Ohio representatives and senators, we have to thank them for saving the infants with heartbeats. Thank yes. Thank you, Ohio. 
for saving the infants with heartbeat and the heartbeat bill. And Thank now, you. but unfortunately, now it is it is it is up to John Kasich, a man who I do not trust at all, to uh, to sign that bill, and he will probably veto it as he has in the past because he is not pro life and he is a fraud as a conservative. I thank you so much for the call. We'll see you tomorrow on the Bob France Authority. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.